Hello and welcome to College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Bogman Sports. I am joined by Xavier Trish and the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Nick, what is going on, man? You know, it's it's only six o'clock in the evening on the East Coast, but I'm getting really tired. I've been waking up at uh, about 4.30 every morning. My wife oh. has me doing... Beach body. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I've I've done it. I, clearly, it didn't work for me, but I've done it. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I feel like it's you know ten or eleven o'clock already. So, how how I'll, sore are your I'll, legs or arms or whatever you did today? What's that? How sore are your legs or arms or whatever you were working on today? You know, I'm I'm currently we've only got fifteen pound dumbbells. We've got to get some others uh, ordered. So I'm, I'm not strong by any means, but I can do more than 15, so I'm not quite sore yet, but uh, I, I, I will get there. I'm more tired than anything. Are you doing the shake bit and all that stuff, too? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going all out, baby. Oh, it's, man. It's, it's fall. It's time to get that beach body here. And, uh, <laughs> <up> <laughs> now that beach season's almost over, let's do the beach body. I got you. So, right, uh, exactly. Xavier, any uh, any dieting stuff for you or anything uh, like that? Luckily for me, I'm still young enough to eat what I want to and not uh, gain any weight. Yeah, um, I hate your guts. So, <laughs> uh, 23 and loving it right now. Oh, so no dietary God. for me. God, Nick, do you remember 23? Remember how much fun that was? You know, <sighs> it, it seems so long ago. I, I'm that's because uh, it was much. <laughs> who, who was president when you guys were 23? <laughs> uh let's see w so when i was 23 george w bush uh was president but obama was elected the next year and i think Beautiful. i was I'm, in middle school oh, god damn you <laughs> why do you have to say that teaching middle school but anyway. <laughs> all right well uh enough of a trip down memory lane to when uh you know, uh, we were drinking beers and Xavier was in diapers. So uh, <laughs> today we're doing the ACC, but we're also going to add in the biggest independent team. And we're going to start right there with them. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish, obviously no conference uh, pick for them because they are an independent. But FBS overall seven undefeated last year. They got their starting quarterback. Uh, they got a good running game and a guy like Jafar Armstrong and uh, Tony Jones. Uh, the weaknesses they lost, they got really got smashed by Clemson in the playoffs. And, um, you know, the receiving isn't as good as it was, especially lo losing a top talent like Miles Boykin. And the schedule's a little bit tougher this year. So, Nick, dive in on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Well, uh, taking your homework assignment from the previous week and, and – uh, continuing that here, the superlative I gave to Notre Dame was that they're better than we remember. So the last time we saw Notre Dame, obviously, uh, they were just worked by Clemson. Uh, but this team really did excel at times. They beat Syracuse handily, 36-3. to three. Uh, They beat Florida State, 42-13, to 13, which obviously Florida State was down, but they're still one of the more talented teams in the country. They went on the road, beat USC, Northwestern, and Virginia Tech. And then in the season opener, let's not forget, even without their quarterback who came in and jump-started things, Ian Book, they 
beat Michigan to to start things off. So Notre Dame did a, some some really good things. Um, the uh, head coach, uh, Coach Kelly, is is number three in our head coach rankings, which sounds really high, uh, but he's done a really good job there. He's he's elevated the talent level. This team ranks number nine in average two four seven sports rating. So uh, they've got talent. You mentioned the running game. Um, this team uh, has uh, a couple of running backs that should do uh, very well. Um, I'm interested to see Jafar Armstrong. He's a good receiver out of the backfield. They look to get him the ball uh, in some different ways. And they've got a strong offensive line that should help clear some lanes for those guys and should also help um, keep Book uh, upright and give him time to throw. And that'll keep the opposing defenses honest. Um, the receiving core is is really the strength according to our numbers. Uh, the unit ranks 21st in the country, and that includes a uh, walk-on starter, Chris Finke, who's better than his 75 rating. They've got a lot of weapons. Book should do uh, quite well in his first full season as the starter. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, they're they're pretty impressive, especially on the defensive line, top 20 unit and their defensive ends. They've got three guys that are super highly rated, according to our VGR plus player ratings. And the secondary is uh, a top five unit in the country, according to our numbers. So we should see some improvement in the uh, pass defense statistics as well. Xavier, we were talking before the show started and it just sounded like you are an incredibly huge Notre Dame fan. Sounds like this is one of your favorite teams to talk about. And I believe you said that their fans are not obnoxious at all. Am I quoting you correctly? Uh, I wouldn't agree with that. <laughs> uh, which is why my superlative for them um, has been the Notre Dame running Irish. Because um, typically their seasons have been running away from competition. Uh, Nick just rattled off a daunting schedule from 2018, um, sarcasm included. However, this year they do play a lot more talented teams, and uh, two of which on the road in Georgia and Michigan. So they have no favors this year when it comes to their schedule. I think that that is something I'm really looking forward to for this team is for once I feel as if the schedule makers have given them a tough schedule. So if they go the distance, they would have fully earned a right in the playoff. I think last year a lot of fans, including myself, uh, low-key were cheering when Clemson absolutely stomped them, um, kind of, of a like a, hey, keep running. This is what's going to happen to you every time you come into the playoffs and play and play the big boys. But we'll get to Clemson later. Um, Ian Book is a Heisman dark horse for me. Once Ooh. again, I think if Notre Dame can run the table and they can pick up some wins along the way, uh, on the road at Georgia, on the road at Michigan, uh, SC at home, Virginia at home, which we'll get to them in a minute, uh, Virginia Tech as well, and in Stanford in the year. If he can have a relatively good season statistically, I think he could easily be in the top three down the stretch uh, as far as the Heisman uh, candidate is concerned. Uh, Nick alluded to their uh, receiving core um, with Chase Claypool. Um, this team always, Notre Dame has the talent on paper. Uh, we always wonder how good that talent necessarily is because they do play an independent uh, schedule and they kind of decide the teams that they want to play, pick and choose a little bit. Um, but I would be an idiot to think that Notre Dame couldn't win 10-plus games this year. Um, I think our projections have them favored in nine. And with that being the case, uh, I don't think I'm too far away in that projection as well. So 
Notre Dame Fighting Irish, uh, you guys will earn a lot of respect for me this year if you guys can rattle off nine to ten wins with the schedule that you do have. It's going to be a tough one for the Irish, but we are here to talk about the ACC now. So we've got uh, 14 teams going on here. We're starting out with the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets coming in at 102 overall and 14 dead last in the ACC. Jeff Collins is, uh, you know, you you put here, Nick, seems like the right long-term hire, and I agree with that. And, you know, they're going to they're gonna turn this team around. But for this season, you have a roster full of misfits for what they're going to want to do because they were a triple option team before this. So uh, lay out what you see for the Yellow Jackets this year as we only have them favored in one game this entire season. Yeah, I, I was a bit surprised when I ran the numbers for the first time and saw that Georgia Tech was only favored in one game. I didn't have high expectations, and on that note, their superlative here is lowest expectations. Um, but I still was surprised because Georgia Tech, even uh, though they haven't had the most talented roster in years past, they've always been competitive. They're, they're always, it seems, in the mix to uh, go to a bowl game. We've seen them even rise up and, and go to big bowl games uh, not in the not-too-far-distant past um and with the triple option just sort of the way that they run it and and sort of the the way you can control um the time of possession and uh, limit your opponent's uh um possessions then uh, you've got a good chance to upset pretty much anybody you know we saw how army almost upset oklahoma last year and and people are pretty concerned that they could do it to michigan this year so um there definitely is uh, a benefit to that style of offense, so it will be a transition uh, seeing how Collins and his coaching staff reworks the roster, which according to our numbers is the uh, lowest rated of all Power 5 teams as far as roster strength goes, and that's 97th overall. So you've got about 30 teams, a little more than 30 uh, G5 teams that actually have a uh, higher roster strength rating. So uh, once kind of realized that, then it makes a little bit more sense that Tech is only favored in one game, and that's only against their FCS opponent. So um a lot of question marks. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be. Uh, Tobias Oliver did some interesting things last year, did some good things, exciting things, but he's not really, uh, at first glance, he, he doesn't quite seem like the right fit for the new offense. Uh, you think maybe he might have an opportunity to move to another position. Uh, it seems Lucas Johnson kind of has the inside track to the job, but who knows? Oliver might be able to win it uh, this fall. Running back, obviously they've got a bunch of running backs, but the ones that it seems are at the top of the depth chart um, don't really rate very well according to our metrics. Last in the ACC, as are the uh, receivers, and then the offensive line ranks 13th. And the offensive line's a really big concern because uh, with the triple option, they're recruiting a lot of smaller guys, quicker guys, and they're going to be looking for a different type of player. Plus, they lost their uh, most talented offensive lineman, Parker Braun, to uh, graduate transfer. So uh, that that definitely hurt. And then uh, one of the, the benefits, as I was saying before, of the triple option, limiting opponents' uh, possessions, that actually played into Tech's favor quite a bit on the defensive side of the football because this is a defense that ranked 126th 
in efficiency and 124th in finishing drives, according to Bill Connolly's S&P Plus uh, numbers. And so that's a big cause of uh, concern because there is uh, quite a bit of turnover on the defensive side of the football as well. So uh, if they're going more up-tempo on offense, then uh, you have a, you know, you expose your defense uh, quite a bit more. And this is a defensive line that uh, lost several starters to graduation and, of course, had uh, a, just a tragic accident, lost a player um, uh, during the offseason as well. So that unit uh, is going to be a, a major concern uh, as they uh, look at a pretty daunting schedule. They certainly are capable of pulling a couple of upsets, but I would be surprised if this team challenges for a bowl game. I mean, worst roster, according to our stuff here at CFB Winning Edge, Xavier, and uh, 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 just a roster that's not suited for Jeff Collins quite yet, it doesn't add up to anything good, right? Absolutely, and I think that's what's going to be, as Nick alluded to, the biggest problem for them is they just aren't ready yet. It's going to take Collins and crew at least two years for him to get a recruiting class in that is going to be able to run his offense to the desired amount. Um, as Nick said, they were a triple option team. They were the last of the triple option teams and uh, that were popular in the 90s with Nebraska and Colorado and those guys, and now they finally changed. It's it's time for change, and I think that Collins was an amazing hire, and uh, I think that you could see that uh, during the spring game when the first play of the game, they, they hop in a shotgun and the entire stadium uh, goes in an uproar <laughs> about well, finally. Well, it started in double slot, too. It's kind of an, mm-hmm. an ode to the, to the triple option, but then showed the change, which I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could just tell from the Georgia Tech fans, and at least the ones I know and I talked to, that uh, it was time for change. They loved uh, Paul Johnson, but uh, it was time for him to go, and it was time for that offense to go. Uh, however, they don't get any favors schedule-wise. As we all know, they start the season off at Clemson. That'll be a fun one. Um, Miami on the road as well. Uh, luckily for them, they do get Georgia and NC State at home, but they also have to play Virginia on the road late in the season. Um, when it comes to the offense that they're going to be running, their defense just isn't ready to uh, – I'm going to be surprised and looking forward to see how well they are condition-wise. Um, because as Nick alluded to, when you run a triple option, you get a lot of time on the bench if it's working well. Um, however, with their offense completely changing now, you could have very quick drives. And I want to see how good condition, uh, how good conditioning the defense is this year. and Can they play? multiple possessions back to back to back even if the offense is putting points up on the board um, but they're gonna have faster three and outs as well so the defense for me is a really big key this year as far as conditioning is concerned and holding up their end of the bargain um, and not being so much of a bend don't break defense like they've been in the past uh moving up here and it's a big jump it's 30 spots we move 72 spots to boston college ranking 13th in the acc 72 overall i mean we know what they are right they are uh, supposed to be tough on defense and then run A.J. Dillon. So they got the A.J. Dillon part, but the defense, they lost a lot of production in the secondary, which is where they were bad last year. Anyway, we have them favored in five games, but this schedule, it's uh, soft in the middle, but the end, just this this brutal end at Clemson, at Syracuse, home against Florida State, at Notre Dame, at Pitt. That is brutal. And uh, home against NC State before that. So mm-hmm. um, 
this is not looking like a fun year here for the uh, the the Eagles, Nick. No, no, and and they definitely stumbled to the finish last year as well. I mean, B- BC was seven and two when they hosted Clemson last year, and and then they got a score, went up early. It looked like maybe they had a chance, uh, but then obviously lost that game. It really wasn't as competitive as it seemed like it might be early on, and then lost. Uh, you know, ended on a three-game losing streak and then had their bowl game uh, canceled after they scored a, a touchdown early. So um, that kept them at seven wins, which is exactly what they've had in five of the last six years under Adazio. So on the one hand, this is the most consistent team uh, in the ACC, is their superlative in, in my opinion. But do we give Adazio the benefit of the doubt? Do we give the Eagles the benefit of the doubt? Um, according to our head coach ratings, uh, even though he has uh, pulled off a few upsets at times, he still only ranks 76th in head coach rating. Uh, but he's done a good job developing players, finding underrated guys. Four players were drafted uh, from last year's team, including a first-round offensive lineman. So he obviously has has done a good job. The staff has done a good job of getting this team up to a certain level. We just haven't seen him get over the hump. And it doesn't really look like this uh, roster is set up to take that next step. Yes, A.J. Dillon is is a superstar. I mean, anytime you've got a 250-pound running back, you know, and, and he's put up uh, almost 2,700 yards and 24 rushing touchdowns over his first two seasons, seems like if he's healthy, of course, uh, he's going to get even more of uh, the attention this year. Uh, but they've got some pretty decent pieces to put around him that that perhaps could diversify things a little bit. Anthony Brown, the quarterback, started 22 games. He's done some good things. He's had some production. He put up six production points over his first two seasons. He's just a junior and already a three-year starter. Uh, they've got some wide receivers that have done some good things. Uh, Kobe White, Ben Glines, who plays a little bit of uh, running back as well um, and is a contributor on special teams, seems like they might have an opportunity to to make some uh, you know make some moves, maybe uh, make defenses keep them honest and and perhaps not load the box to try to stop Dylan. And and then it seems that Boston College always finds some good tight ends. They had one drafted last year, but they've got uh, two guys that have uh, starting experience coming back. So offensively, this team should be decent. You know, as much as a Steve Adazio offensive team can be at least uh they've got some pieces defense is where i'm a little bit concerned and they always seem to sort of figure it out on defense um and and they do kind of operate at a pretty slow pace at least they did in the past under scott loffler who left to become the head coach at bowling green but uh, according to our roster strength numbers boston college has the 13th rated uh defensive line in the acc the 12th rated linebacker core and dead last in the secondary, which ranks 111th overall. And and, uh, they lost four starters from last year's secondary. Uh, A lot of talent, a lot of production that uh, contributed to 36 interceptions over the last two years, which was the second most in the country over that period. Um, So obviously uh, have to rebuild that part of the roster. And it was a, a unit that we didn't expect, but actually did struggle uh, yardage-wise. They, they ranked uh, in the, the triple digits in pass defense, if memory serves. So uh, obviously some room for improvement, but 
I'm kind of on the fence, kind of feel like I need to give Adazio the benefit of the doubt. We think that they're going to win five games on average. If he gets uh, an upset, that gives him six and back to a bowl game. And seven, obviously, is not out of uh, the realm of possibility either. Xavier, Boston College, uh, what, what do you think? What can you add to what Nick said? Um, We'll go straight to the defense. I just think the defense is, as far as the front seven is concerned, is just a lot of talent that didn't pan out. Um, when you look at our 247 ratings, and this is based off of what they were in high school, uh, most of the guys on the D-line have just not become what their rating was coming out of high school. And they have a lot of experience. And they got a transfer from Clemson in uh, Richard Jurgen III, which may help up front. It's just unfulfilled talent um, on this defense. And for me, Adazio is kind of like D'Antonio in Michigan State and a couple other guys in college football where you just can't put your finger and and pencil them in for a certain amount of wins because they might pull one here and pull one there and all of a sudden be 7-5. and five. But offensively, they've got talent. I'm really looking at that defense as the cornerstone to this team and whether or not they're going to fulfill our projections of 5-7 and seven, or if they're going to be pushed to 7-5 and five, or maybe even 8-4, and four, you know, depending on how well the offense clicks. I really like Anthony Brown. I think he's doing for a really big season this year. He's just c- consistently progressed. Um, last year, 20 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, 2,100 yards. I'm looking for him to take another step as they give him more reins to the offense. And he's going to have to take more responsibility with facing six, seven, eight-man boxes with, when you have a guy like A.J. Dillon in the backfield. Um, so I'm this Boston College team, I can't put my finger on them necessarily. The 2018 record was 7-5. and five. I wouldn't be surprised if they do it again. All right, so moving on here to the uh, 12th team in this conference, uh, 59th overall. So quite a jump from Boston from 72 to 59. And kind of, you know, they're listed 12 for us, but they're kind of in the middle here of the ACC. It's the uh, Virginia Cavaliers, and they are a favorite in the media. And I like uh, Bryce Perkins a lot, but it's kind of the question, Nick, of who is going to run the ball with him. I feel like they'll figure it out. Uh, because that's what Bronco Mendenhall does. But mm-hmm. we, we actually have them favored in fewer games than we have Boston College favored in. Uh, four games only. So uh, the win projection is a little bit higher for Virginia. But um, I don't know. It feels like they could be better than this number. What's your thoughts on Virginia? Yeah, absolutely. This this one scares me a lot. This might be the most surprising uh, number. Again, this is, this is not a number based on our opinion. Um, I think probably the three of us all would expect Virginia to do better than four and eight or even, you know, five wins. Uh, but according to the the way we crunch these numbers, our, our roster strength rating, our coach rating, team performance, it all comes into this team strength rating. And uh, Virginia, 12th in the ACC, a little bit of a shock. So my superlative was that this is uh, the team that has the best chance to make us look stupid. So Virginia, a lot of people like him, really love uh, Bryce Perkins. He came in and and injected just a lot of energy into this offense. He did some great things, both as a runner and a passer. Um, He has really got an opportunity to to continue this year and kind of pull this team into, uh, you know, a a chance to win the Coastal. They absolutely could. Um, Bronco Mendenhall is a good coach. 
They have a good coaching staff. Um, this team actually ranked 34th in t- our uh, team performance ratings last year, which is uh, a pretty good um, improvement compared to where they rank in roster strength. So Virginia currently ranks 59th in the country in roster strength. That's 11th in the ACC. Um, and then they rank 54th according to their average 247 rating. So they don't recruit very well towards the bottom of the ACC, but Mendenhall had this playing like a, a top 35 team, and at times they certainly look like a top 25 team. So um, they, they definitely have a, an opportunity to rise above our projections for sure, but they do have a lot of holes that they've got to fill. Uh, they lost a 1,000-yard wide receiver. They lost a 1,000-yard rusher. Um, they do return a couple of guys in the receiving core. They're, they're number two and number three. Uh, and then they added two grad transfers that uh, could um, do some good things, help make up for some of that lost production. Um, the offensive line is good, but it's not great. They struggled on passing downs last year. Um, so if, if that unit comes together and some playmakers step up on the outside, yeah, I, I definitely agree. They'll they'll find a supplementary ball carrier because um, they def they have to they have to keep Perkins healthy. He can't run probably as much as he did last year and and have them expect to compete because uh, he did get banged up. He is coming off a of finger surgery, um, but they've got a, a lot of bright spots on defense. They're very well coached on defense. The linebacker core, according to our numbers, is the strength. Uh, we're really low numbers wise on their secondary uh, that ranks 12th in the ACC, but uh, most people would expect, and I was doing some uh, YouTubing, uh, watching some ACC digital network clips. Uh, they do a really great job by the way. Um, and they've got Virginia is the number one secondary in the conference. Uh, they mm-hmm. certainly have, who I think is the best player. Bryce Hall, the corner, is uh, a top 15 player in all of college football, I think. So uh, a lot of reasons to be optimistic. But from a pure talent standpoint, uh, this team just doesn't stack up with some of the uh, other teams in the Coastal. And so our numbers, um, you know, perhaps underrate them. But, you know, I I do also kind of believe it. I'm concerned. I don't think Virginia... Uh, I think people maybe are a little too high. I don't think they're as bad as maybe our numbers think, but um, I don't know. I'm kind of caught in between here. So Virginia definitely could make us look stupid, but hey, maybe we'll look smart too. <laughs> Xavier, what do you think of, of Virginia? I, I really like Perkins, and I feel like he's a bit underrated passing too. I think it was uh, PFF had a stat of, I think he was the number one or number two QB in the ACC with a clean pocket. So uh, I know that's well, kind of a... You know, it's a meta stat, and how often is he getting a yeah. clean pocket? But uh, if you give him some time, he can throw the ball, I guess is the point. Well, yeah, and I think that you hit the nail on the head if he's in a clean pocket. Um, we got we kind of hit on their offensive line being okay. Um, but when you have a quarterback that dynamic, sometimes your offensive line looks better than it actually is. And that's what I'm looking forward to the most. I want to see if Bryce Perkins decides to take that next step as a quarterback knowing that the NFL scouts are going to be watching him this year, or if he's going to continue to be the dual threat that we saw last year. Uh, We see sometimes quarterbacks, when they know that the draft is looming um, ahead, that they all of a sudden change the style in which they play. He might sit in the pocket a little bit longer than he did last year, maybe trying to prove something to a couple of scouts that may have written that he can't sit in the pocket. And 
if I'm, you know, if Bryce listens to this podcast, don't do that. Um, by all <laughs> means, please play your game. Uh, because when he does and when he's the explosive runner, um, also with a heck of an explosive arm, we see how good he can be. Uh, Bryce Perkins is going to have to carry this team on his back. Everybody knows that they lost their 1,000-yard rusher last year, including the rest of the ACC. It's going to be a situation where they're going to pack in the box and they're going to force Bryce to beat them with his arm. Um, they're not worried about necessarily the running backs. I wouldn't be either when you look at their um, when you look at the numbers by our metrics. And receiving core-wise, they've got some talent. Uh, most of it's senior-laden, um, which is always a good thing. You know, when you have two, uh, when your top three out of your four top uh, outside talents are all seniors, that bodes well as the chemistry is something that I believe in strongly. Um, so the passing game is something I'm going to be looking for them to take a progression in this year um, and not focus so much on the running game simply because they don't have a set in back. Uh, Nick hit on the head. Their linebacking core is really, really good. <laughs> that's that I, you know, that's really all I can say to that. When you have four running, four linebackers, 85 plus, and you run a three, four, that's going to be your calling card. Those linebackers are going to have to fill in the gaps and make up for what is a okay defensive front. Um, even when, you know, you already, you can see uh, according to our numbers, they have a, somebody coming in this year that's already injured. And so the linebackers are really going to have to step up and really make plays when the defensive line doesn't. Uh, Virginia is a weird team. Nick said it. I don't know what they're going to do this year. The schedule makers didn't, um, didn't beat them over the head with a drum. They gave them Pittsburgh on the road, Notre Dame and Miami on the road. Other than that, they have primarily home games and the other road games. I'm just, they're not as competitive in my opinion. I think that they'll have a chance this year to win the Coastal. Um, I think everybody in that division has a chance to be perfectly honest with you. But my, Virginia would not surprise me whatsoever. They were on the precipice of doing it last year. All right, moving up here to number 11 in the ACC, number 58 overall, one spot ahead of Virginia. It's the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. And they've quietly posted three straight winning seasons. They have some talent. Uh, they do have some competition for the starting uh, quarterback job, unless you listen to my buddy uh, Justin Heisey over at uh, College <laughs> Fantasy Football on campus, who just believes Newman is the guy, and that's that. So, uh, but what do you think about Wake Forest with their QB battle, and uh, how can they uh, improve on this number or have another winning season? Yeah, and, and first of all, you mentioned Wake Forest is one spot ahead of Virginia in the national rankings. Well, our 10th, 9th, and 8th teams are all one spot removed. So that's that's how much of a uh, you know thick middle we've got in this league. And Virginia could be anywhere between you know 8 and 12 uh, if if just one little thing changed. Yeah, I don't so, even think you threw Pitt in there. Pitt's 8, 9, 10, 11 uh, yeah, all yeah. in a row. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so this is, you know, we're, we're basically talking about the same team, you know, five in a row here. So <laughs> anything could happen, you know, as these teams play one another, it just so shook out, you know, that, that we've got them here eight through 12. But as for Wake Forest specifically, I mean, obviously <laughs> my superlative here maybe uh, came into play a little bit. I said, they're the most overlooked, you know, we, we moved on to Wake Forest and I still wanted to talk about Virginia and I wanted to talk about the teams that are ahead of them. So Wake Forest here, even with us, they're, they're a bit overlooked, you know, Dave Clawson, he's done a great job. Did you know Wake Forest is one 
uh, or posted a winning record three straight years. I mean, that, I that at, <laughs> at Wake Forest, that, that's a, a pretty rare feat, you know, and, and this is a team that consistently fields lower tier talent. They rank mm-hmm. 57th in the country and that's 13th the in the ACC. Thing. That, that's the, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's the closest thing you're going to come to a Nick Byrne. A compliment. Yeah, that was a part compliment <laughs> and when i mean when i mean talent i mean you know the 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 experts at, at the right. recruiting side <laughs> but but yeah i mean this this is a team that that ranks as far as the 247 rating uh 13th in the acc so they're consistently second to last you know when the when the classes are tallied up but clausen's done a great job developing those players or he's done a great job uh, of finding guys that are underrated. Uh, a couple of those guys, Sam Hartman, Jamie Newman at quarterback, both have potential. Uh, and another, Cade Carney, put up a 1,000 yards rushing last year. Uh, Andy was banged up. If he's healthy, he has a chance, I believe, to, to be a, a, a really good um, running back in, in the league. And, and uh, they've got some wide receivers that definitely have potential. Sage Sherratt, did some very exciting things as a freshman last year. Uh, Scotty Washington is pretty highly rated. He's an 89, according to our VGR Plus ratings. And then they they have so much uh, at the quarterback position that they were able to move Kendall Hinton uh, to wide receiver, a guy who uh, has starting experience behind center. So uh, they, they've got some players and, and they're putting guys in position to be successful and, and uh, they definitely have an opportunity to put up another winning season. We have them favored in six games and we actually uh, project them to win closer to six and a half. So that tells me that the schedule is favorable, stacks up pretty well. Offensively, as we discussed, they've, they've got some talent. Defense, according to our numbers, is is uh, lacking a bit. They do have one of the best corners, really, in the country, not just the ACC. Saying Bassey is a 100-rated player, and uh, there's another senior starter at corner, corner uh, Amari Henderson. So those those two should um, help keep some passing uh, attacks in check a little bit. But this is a unit on defense that ranks 10th at the defensive line, 11th at linebacker and 11th in the secondary, according to our roster strength. So from a pure talent standpoint or from a numbers, uh, as far as our, our you know player ratings numbers go, um, they've got some room for improvement on the defensive side of the ball. And that really did sort of show itself statistically as well. Uh, the traditional statistics, Wake finished 117th in the country in pass defense, 116th in total defense. They were a little bit better as far as the advanced stats go. Uh, actually quite a bit better, 64th in overall defensive S&P Plus and 61st against the pass. But they allowed far too many completions, easy completions. They didn't create enough turnovers. They didn't rush the passer well enough, and they didn't play well enough on third down. So if they're able to to make improvements in those areas, we should see <laughs> an improved unit. Uh, you, you just listen to so many things. You're like, they weren't good on third downs or playing football or at any of this stuff. Uh, so if they can improve at all that, they're going to be much better. <laughs> hey, but, I, you know, Dave Clawson and the coaching staff, they could do it. And I, I do have to mention that defensively they were banged up last year. So if they're healthier, uh, especially the linebacking core, which was down to one scholarship linebacker at one point last year, uh, 
defensively, they have an opportunity uh, to close the gap. And the offense, a lot of players are coming back. So I wouldn't be surprised if Wake wins seven or eight games. Um, but obviously, as I, I did have a laundry list of things <laughs> they need to improve on, uh, there's certainly um, some ways it could uh, go south. What else do they need to improve on, Xavier? Well, apparently they can't put on their chin straps. They put their helmets on backwards. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but when it comes to Wake Forest, I think Nick hit it on the head when he was talking about the defense. Um, they run that dreaded four-two-five that we mentioned, uh, that I mentioned almost to Ignazium a couple of uh, an episode ago. But I think that's where you saw most of your issues. You also mentioned injuries, and that's something that they're going to look forward to not having this year. Also, their defensive line got in a a transfer, which should actually help the defensive line as he comes in as one of the higher rated players on the defense and the highest rated player on their defensive line um, as a transfer in Miles Fox. But what I'm looking for most is the return production from their offense. Their receivers are young, and that's the only problem that I have. They have a lot of guys who don't have a lot of playing time. They have a lot of games played, but not a lot of games started. That's an issue for me. Um, you can have because when you have a quarterback and we all we're talking currently as they're ha- having a quarterback battle when you have a QB who may or may not be playing the receivers don't get a lot of continuity with that guy yes both quarterbacks are have been there one's a sophomore one's a junior but when it comes to the receiving core not having a lot of continuity with the quarterback we may see a dip in production to at least start off the season now that's where I'm going to get to my positives three out of the first four games I expect them to win Utah State at home, Rice on the road, Elon at home. And they may even pull out the game against UNC, but that's a toss-up in my opinion. They have, I say, three three tough games on the road this year. Um, and that's Clemson, Syracuse, and Virginia Tech. No this to Boston College or Rice, but the schedule makers really gave them a lot of leeway here and gave them a, an opportunity to get their wheels turning before the season gets started. Um, Wake Forest, if... They can't do if the defense can't do what Nick's laundry list is, <laughs> then they could easily go four and eight. Um, however, we do have them six and six uh, favored. That's exactly where I think that they should be. Uh, I can't disagree with that at all. Wake Forest is a team that I definitely overlook. So your superlative is spot on. Uh, but who knows what Wake Forest can do this year? That entire division for me is up in the air, and I think that they have an opportunity to shock a lot of people depending if they can get their quarterback situation handled in the first four weeks. Well, speaking of up in the air, moving down one spot in both the conference and overall rankings to 57 and 10 is the NC State Wolfpack. And all they have to replace this year is their starting quarterback, two wide receivers, running back, middle linebacker, leader of the defense, Pratt. I mean, Finley, Myers, uh, Gillespie, all these guys are leaving and gone, so they have a lot to prove on offense specifically, Nick. Absolutely. And uh, to recycle a joke from last week, I said uh, NC State is the most outgoing team in the ACC uh. because, they, <laughs> like Penn State, uh, NC State actually ranks second in uh, the nation as far as their lowest number of total yards um that's coming back we've got it calculated at 24.8 percent which is two percentage points ahead of penn state uh or excuse me two two tenths of a percentage point ahead of penn state so um they also lost 
uh, a lot of members of their offensive coaching staff. So it's not just players. They're they're also bringing in a new offensive coordinator because Eli Drinkwitz uh, is now the head coach at Appalachian State. So it's it's basically they're they're starting over from scratch uh, in a lot of ways on offense. The QB battle. Um, it's it's at least a uh, two-player battle. Might even be a three-player battle. Um, Matthew McKay, former uh, Florida State and, and JUCO transfer Bailey Hockman is in the mix, and then there's a red for, redshirt freshman uh, Devin Leary, who's actually the highest rated um, as a recruit. So any of those guys could emerge with the job, it seems. But whoever it is will be making their first career start. Um, and uh, only McKay has seen the field. He's played in six games. So uh, obviously that doesn't, you know, uh, quarterback experience is not the, uh, not everything. I mean, in the playoff last year, we had four first year starting quarterbacks. So um, that's something that, that obviously this team can uh, overcome, but it's still a concern at this point in the off season uh, running back. They should be in good hands. Ricky Pearson put up some very good numbers as a freshman. Uh, he's a very highly rated recruit, had a 95 rating in the two, four, seven sports composite. Um, so according to our uh, VGR plus formula, he's an 86 and a half uh, rated player, which is pretty good for a sophomore. And he's running behind what should be a pretty strong offensive line. It's a top 50 unit in the country, according to our numbers. Um, th- on the other side of the line of scrimmage, the, the defensive line is a strength. It's a top 30 unit. And the secondary is a top 25 unit, according to our roster strength metrics. Both areas are pretty experienced. There are three players that rank, uh, or excuse me, have a, a 90 or better uh, overall rating. Uh, but linebacker, as you mentioned, they, they definitely missed, um, you know, lost some production there. Um, they will have to have some young players step up. According to our numbers, actually, their highest rated linebacker, uh, Vi Jones or Levi Jones, the USC transfer, um, last I saw is, is not eligible to play this year. We'll, we'll not be able to, to come in until 2020. So when you've got your best player, uh, at a unit that's uh, having to stand on the sidelines, um, you know, I, I for one don't feel comfortable about that uh, if I'm a NC State fan. So, a lot of turnover. Obviously, they've done a good job uh, finding NFL talent, developing it. Um, but I think this year could be a uh, step back. Um, making a bowl game would would probably be um, a pretty good accomplishment. You could, should feel pretty good about that. Um, if they're able to to pull it off, NC State Wolfpack replacing a lot of talent. Xavier, what do you think? Can they can they do better than this tenth ranking and fifty seven in the conference? We have them at a five hundred record as far as uh, favorites in six of twelve. What do you think about NC State? Um, I'm going to give you a simple answer. I just don't think so. Um, I don't. When you have that much talent leave, unless your name is Clemson, Alabama, and I can pretty much stop there, you're not going to have the same kind of team coming into the next year. And in their situation, they lost so much talent that we don't know what their team is going to look like coming into this year, especially offensively. And that's what really worries me about NC State. Over the last two, I'd say two, three years, they've really kind of leaned on their offense to be rather, rather good, rather explosive. Uh, they kept them in games versus more high-powered offenses like Clemson, uh, like Florida State in the last couple of years with quarterbacks like Jacoby Brissett and Ryan Finley. Those guys were really able to keep the offense afloat even when the defense wasn't playing well. Um, now this year it's going to have to be the complete opposite. It's going to be defense, defense, defense. They're going to have to be 
the calling card and the bell cow for this team to do anything this year. If we have them favored in six games, that means their defense is going to have to ball out for six games as long as until their offense can get clicking. But when you have so much turnover, it's just going to take a while. Luckily for them that they start off their season with Eastern Carolina, Western Carolina, and Ball State, all three of which are at home. That's a good start for them with them having such a young QB and such a young offense for them to kind of get their wheels turning before they see Florida State and Syracuse in late September and early October. But I just don't see them rolling out six wins. I see more of four. And I don't typically go against the numbers, but this team just has so much turnover that I can't see them clicking on all cylinders in six ball games this year. I can see them doing it in four. I can't see them doing it in six. Sorry, Wolfpack. Yeah, I mean, you know, high ceiling, low floor. So if if things come together quickly and they click, uh, they could be better than this, but they could also be way worse than that. And that's kind of what you get with these middling teams. Uh, moving up here, another one spot to ninth in the conference and 56 overall is the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, Scott Satterfield gets to clean up the mess that Bobby Petrino left behind. Uh, talented <laughs> roster, but uh, this team just quit on Bobby last year and uh we've got them favored in only four games can they turn this around quick enough because it seems like they have the talent nick well i i was a little bit surprised that louisville was ranked ninth in our conference power ratings when i saw the numbers um because this team looked so bad last year and and you definitely could see uh that they just quit. I mean, they, they uh, weren't being coached, it, it seems, <laughs> to yeah. you know the standard that we expect for uh, a Power 5 program, for sure. But this team just got worse and worse over the course of the year. And they were actually, uh, when you look at their record against the spread, one, I think they were 1-11 against the spread, or, or just 2-10, and 10, something ridiculous. Um, but they also uh, ended up underperforming the spread projections by 17 and a half points per game, which is, I mean, I, I don't know if we've seen a number that big. I mean, they, they were just blown out week after week after week. Um, it, it was bad. It was bad. So uh, Satterfield, it seems like sort of how we were talking about Jeff Collins before, seems like a good long-term hire. He's going to come in. He's, he's going to uh, help. Uh, put in a, a new program. He's uh, instilling a little bit more discipline than we saw uh, under Petrino's regime. And he's got good coordinators as well. Dwayne Ledford is a uh, number 31 in OC rating. And Brian Brown, the defensive coordinator, is ranked second in the country, according to our numbers. So Louisville's defense should uh, take a step forward if Brown is able to, to come in and, and kind of do what he wants to do. And you're right that I, I definitely think that this is a more talented team than it looked like last year. They rank 35th. Uh, in the country in roster strength, and they've actually improved by more than three and a half points, which is the uh, seventh biggest improvement in the country since the end of last year, and that's the second best improvement in the ACC. Um, But uh, really, you know, they've got a lot of things they got to work out. There's another team with a a quarterback battle. Is uh, Juwan Pass going to be 
the starter is Malik Cunningham, who's the more athletic, uh, more dynamic runner. Is, is he going to get another opportunity to start? Or could we possibly see Cunningham move to another position, try to get two of the better uh, players on the team um, on the field at the same time? And then there are some that think uh, Evan Conley is the quarterback of the future. You know, perhaps he, the, the true freshman, the early enrollee, might actually win the job before the year is out. So a lot of questions at that position, but whoever wins it, Wide receiver should be a strength. They've recruited well there. They've got some experience there. They've got uh, three players that have an 88 or better uh, rating in their starting lineup, according to our numbers, and a lot of mid-80s guys as well. So a lot of options on the outside. Um, Hopefully that will help them improve uh, on that side of the football. And then on defense, it can't get much worse. I mean, this (laughs) team ranked 128th in scoring defense, uh, 127th against the run, 122nd in total defense, all of which were worse in the ACC. Uh, and they also finished in triple digits, according to defensive S&P Plus. So it's not like, uh, you know, <laughs> there was a, a discrepancy there. It was just a bad defense. Um, they did add uh, some transfers, as many as five grad transfers might start uh, on, uh, you know, both sides of the, the football combined. One that is probably my most favorite is uh, Marshall, defensive lineman, grad transfer, Ty Tyler, is a 100-rated player, highly, highly productive. He's put up 25 production points uh, in his career. So are those grad transfers, are the, the leftover guys that, you know, weren't used to their or pushed to their max potential, are they going to help this team get back in the mix for a bowl game? I think it's it's possible. We actually, on average, expect them to win 5.86 games. But then on the other hand, you could kind of see, you know, there was so much disarray. Maybe this is a year zero situation that uh, is closer to what we expect will happen at Georgia Tech. So could go a lot of different ways for Louisville. Our numbers like them more than most pretty much everybody that I've heard uh, when they talk about Louisville. So maybe this is a team that could surprise some people, upset a few folks along the way. Um, but uh, I don't know. Have to have to see it to believe it, I guess. Xavier, uh, Bobby Petrino got on his motorcycle and rode off in the sunset to cheat on his wife. Not, so he, not, the, not, not the first time he's done that. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. not the first time he's done that. So uh, I feel like it's addition by subtraction. You, you you feel the same way? Uh, I don't know if I can follow you on that one. <laughs> I don't. Um, I'm not nearly as high as on on Louisville as I think our numbers are. And I'm just gonna rattle off the schedule for you guys in October when they play Wake Forest on the road, Clemson, Virginia, Miami, NC State, Syracuse, Kentucky. That's their schedule from October 12th to the end of the season. That doesn't leave a lot of room for victories in the in the weeks prior because they also have Notre Dame to start off the season and Florida State on the road. Their schedule is brutal, and that is the driving force behind why I don't think that they're, you know, we have the win probability projection at 5.86. I think they're more along what we have them favored in, in four, and where we have them at four wins um, and eight losses, two and six in the conference. Louisville's going to struggle this year. You know, when you when you have such a turnover after what was a just an abysmal season last year where they just were – you can't describe what was going on at that school last year. It's going to take some time to get back to your feet. Uh, Jawan Pass, the, the junior quarterback who we have as a 90-rated overall, didn't play as that last year. He had eight touchdowns, 12 interceptions. It wasn't a great year for him either. And 
luckily for this year, luckily for him this year, he does have talent on the outside. Uh, for some reason, Louisville always has relatively good to great receivers. They've been putting them out for the last couple of years, um, and they've been doing a really good job in recruiting in that sense. And once again, they do, and that's what they're going to have to rely on. Their receiving core is the best part of that offense. Um, their running backs, not nearly as good. But if you can get their receivers hot, and if they can click with Juwan Pass to start the year off, I'm, I'm not saying they're going to click in the Notre Dame game and they're going to upset them week one. But Eastern, Eastern Kentucky and Western Kentucky are their next two opponents. I could see them clicking in that game and getting some type of momentum heading into Florida State and Boston College in the coming weeks. Louisville, four wins is exactly where I think that they should be. So the numbers, once again, proved to be correct in my mind. I'm not going to go against the numbers like I did in the last conversation. Four wins, it sounds about right. Yeah, I guess the the one thing I would say is that middle part of the schedule, now that Petrino's gone, hopefully you have these kids at least playing with effort in those games. Mm-hmm. So that, and we did not see that at all last year. Um, but uh, moving up, once again, one more spot overall and one more spot in the conference. We moved to the Pitt, Pans- Pitt Panthers, if I can say their name right. And they were the surprise Coastal champ last season. Uh, lots of good running, good offense overall, a decent defense as well. But they lost so much, 70% of the rushing production uh, when they graduated their top two running backs. And only one restarting, uh, one returning uh, starting offensive lineman. We do have them favored in seven games this year so it looks like it may not all be bad for Pitt Nick what do you think of the Panthers this year yeah I think Pitt might be the most underappreciated team in the ACC and a lot of people didn't think that maybe they deserve to win the Coastal last year Um, and when you look at their final record seven and seven uh, doesn't seem like a great year but uh, I think Pitt was more than just a sacrificial lamb in the ACC championship game I mean obviously they didn't stack up with Clemson but this team beat Syracuse they beat Virginia Wake Forest Virginia Tech and Duke that's not uh, a bad stretch I mean those are those are teams that we expect to compete for bowl games year in and year out. And, and actually all those teams uh, did go to bowl, a bowl game. So, uh, and they only lost to Notre Dame and Stanford by a combined six points. So uh, this team was in a lot of games. They were in it against uh, some quality competition, even if they came up short and then they beat some quality teams. So I think Pitt was, was pretty underappreciated last year. Now that said, They've got a lot to replace, especially in the running game, especially in the offensive line. It's hard to know, you know, who's going to get the most carries. They've definitely got options. I mean, they've got three guys um, who have uh, played in at least seven games in the past. Uh, they've got a couple of uh, pretty highly recruited guys that could step up. Redshirt freshman Mikhail uh, Salahuddin. I probably messed that up. Oh, but, man, I was going to um, ask you to say his name, too. I think you got it. I think you got well, it. Well, we'll see. Did, we'll that see. That sounded pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah, strong. <laughs> Maybe I should have just rolled with it. I'll ask but, John. Uh, I'll ask he's John. the highest rated player on the depth chart. So uh, definitely a chance that he could step up and and become the guy, but they've got some options. Uh, AJ Davis is more of the bruiser. Uh, Both he and Todd Sibley are listed at 215 pounds. So they've got, they've got a variety of guys. They've got some talent. Um, 
I want to see, you know, will one guy step up or will two guys step up similar to uh, how it was last year and, and kind of elevate the offense because they do have some weapons on the outside. Um, I mean, uh, Maurice French is one of the most exciting players in the league uh, as a punt returner, as a receiver. Um, he's definitely a big play waiting to happen. They use him in a variety of ways. Uh, so that's fun to watch. Definitely want to see how they utilize him but they've got some other weapons as well to see mac aaron matthews they've got two good tight ends uh two guys that are rated um in the 80s uh, and even one will Gregg, former arkansas tight end is a, a 91.9 so um they've got talent uh kenny pickett is he going to take another step forward as the quarterback under the new offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, who was the head coach at UMass, is pretty well respected as a play caller? Throw that rock. Um, <laughs> what's that? Throw that rock. That's what Whipple yeah. likes to do. He likes to throw there it. There you go. Exactly. So so on that end, I mean, you know, he's he could utilize French maybe in a similar way to how he used Andy Isabella last year. I mean, don't be surprised to uh, see that. So, um <laughs> This team could potentially uh, surprise some people with its style of play, could surprise some people because they do have weapons on offense, even if they're inexperienced. So uh, this team uh, also has a a pretty good secondary. DeMar Hamlin is a 100-rated player. All three levels rank among the top 55 units uh, as a defensive line, a linebacking core, and a, a secondary. So they've got talent. They're not great at any one position uh, on defense, but this is a team that should be in the mix for a bowl game, should compete again in the Coastal. Their schedule includes a lot of toss-up games, so even though they're favored in seven, we only expect them to win about six on average, but Pitt's going to be a tough out, and uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they uh, have another opportunity in the ACC championship Um but uh, obviously, a lot of things have to click on offense for that to happen. Xavier, are you in on the Panthers as well? I'm in on the Panthers if Kenny Pickett can get his head on right. My issue with Kenny Pickett, and I know he's under a new offensive coordinator, so I'm looking to see if he can elevate his game, is that last year he had too many dips. When you go through his his games last year, he had QB ratings as high as 94. He also had QB ratings as low as 16 and 12. That's an issue for me. Inconsistency will be the thing that bites him in the butt and bites his team in the butt because they're going to go as far as he goes. We talked about you talked about how much talent they have on the outside, how many amazing skill players that they have at tight end, receiver, and running back. But none of that matters if your quarterback can't get you the ba- can't get you the basketball, can't get you the football um, on a consistent basis, and is not throwing it to the other team. I mean, when you look at his stats last year, he had twelve touchdowns, six interceptions. So. He had only a two-to-one ratio. That's not great when you're a team, first off, who got to the ACC championship game last year, but is looking to push past that and possibly make another appearance in this year and push past a 7-7 record that they finished with um, last year. Pitt's a weird one, and that's, and, and, and that's why. It's when I look at the talent that they have, they should be better than their record was last year. They should be better than um, what we have them projected as a 7-5. and five. I think that they could easily win their division again and be in the ACC championship game again. I just look at the quarterback situation and go, that's the weakest link. And that can't be the weakest link on a football team. And um, like I said, if Kenny Pickett can prove me wrong and shut me up, then Pitt can rattle off eight, nine wins and 
be sitting firmly in the ACC championship game probably with one or two weeks to go in the, in the season. But uh, Kenny Pickett, it's on you this time. The ball is in your court, uh, per se. All right, moving up here. Actually, I believe it is eight spots in the overall instead of going <laughs> one by one uh, to 47 and seven overall. It's the North Carolina Tar Heels, Mac Brown coming in. They have some talent on this roster. Uh, offensive line, defensive line, running back are all pretty good. But the quarterback, you know, Sam Howell's coming in. He has high expectations. Is he going to be able to uh, win that job outright? And are they going to be able to stop the run? Because that's something that they couldn't do last season at all, Nick. So North Carolina uh, definitely has a lot of unknowns. Can they stop the run? Uh, are they going to be able to uh, reach their talent potential? Um, a lot of different questions. Questions, and that's why I think this is the most unknown team in the ACC. As far as just their pure talent rating, their average 247 sports uh, rating, this is a fringe top 25 team. They rank 26th in the country, fifth in the ACC. So they're consistently putting top 25 recruiting classes on the board year after year. They were doing that under uh, Larry Fedora. But uh, though they do come back just a little bit as far as roster strength, uh, which, of course, is how we incorporate the experience and the career production, uh, add that to the uh, pure talent numbers. They dip a little bit to 36. That's still fifth in the ACC. So uh, this is a team that should be more competitive than they've shown the last couple of years when I believe they've lost nine games in back to each of the last two years. Uh, so. Tar Heels have a talent advantage more often than not. Uh, they do play a tough schedule, um, and so they're only actually favored in half their games, but they should win at least half of those. Uh, Mac Brown's a national championship head coach. He's made some good uh, coordinator hires. We actually have Phil Longo, uh, former Ole Miss coordinator, as the number five uh, rated OC, as far as our OC rating goes, that might be a little higher than, than most expect. Um, but then their defensive coordinator, uh, Jay Bateman, who came over from Army, is probably a good bit better than you might expect as far as his DC rating. Um, he has a, a great reputation. So I really do want to see, you know, what's Mac Brown going to do? How is he going to let those guys um, run their systems? Is he going to be a, a hands-off kind of guy? I know he said some things at ACC Media Days that perhaps he thought he did that a little too much at Texas. So um, want to see how that plays out. But there definitely are some pieces here. Uh, one of the three quarterbacks is definitely going to step up. I think Sam Howell, uh, who is the highest rated according to our numbers, has probably the best chance by the end of the season to be that guy. And he's got some weapons to work with. Antonio Williams is uh, almost a 97 rated running back. Daz Newsom is uh, better than his 86 rating. He's put up six production points in his career. Um, they've, they've got some pieces, especially on offense. And the defensive line is a top 25 unit. Jason Strawbridge is, is one of the best defensive linemen in the ACC, if not the country. Um, but overall, still a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns. You know, can Mac Brown and his coaching staff do what Larry, Fedora, Larry Fedora's didn't uh, and maximize the talent that's on the roster? We'll have to wait and see. North Carolina, I mean, Xavier, I'm never going to uh, – I know there are Texas guys that, that uh, no longer like Mac Brown, but 
I got to watch my team win a national championship under him at Texas. So uh, you might not remember who Vince Young is because I believe wow. you were like seven when wow. uh, that happened. But uh, I mean, it was a long time ago when Texas won the national title. But uh, I I love this hire. Uh, but I, I I think even I would have to question, is it the right one and is it going to work here? What do you think? Well, first and foremost, I did watch that game in my pajamas. So yeah. <laughs> let's get that out of the way. But it ended I, way after your bedtime, I'm sure. So. Oh, absolutely. But it's sports. Um, <laughs> I think this reminds Mac Brown of his first tenure at North Carolina. Um, when he came in, first two years were abysmal. One in ten records. However, he turned the team back to respectability very quickly. And I think that you'll see some of that. He'll use some of that experience in this situation again. They were 2-9 last year. However, as you just beautifully alluded to, Nick, they have enough talent to go way above that 2-9 record and do uh, uh, do far better than we expected, and, and far better than the numbers have them as well. I know we have them favored in 6 out of six, uh, six of 12 games, but I personally think that Ma- the Mac Brown effect in this situation is going to lend, lend itself to them being more of a 7-8 win Ball, ball club. And yes, I'm going to go out on a limb and say North Carolina, a basketball school, is going to win eight games. Didn't think I would ever say it either. But Mac Brown is one of, it has to be one of the most well-respected quarter, uh, head coaches in the country. And he's going to bring with him, and he has brought with him, a coaching staff that is tenured and knows what they're doing. And as long as Sam Howell, who is already an early enrollee, and we love early enrollees in my house. I, I love when a kid comes in early and is getting gets the playbook down before summer starts and he can get into the fall not having any hiccups. They, that means they can give him more responsibility. And when you have the talent in the backfield like Antonio Williams at the 96, it now gives you multiple weapons in the quarterback and the running back where they can't just pack the box and force Sam to throw anymore. Now his physical exploits will see those in a couple of weeks. However, mentally, he will be there already, um, knowing the playbook, knowing the audibles, being able to execute them and have been doing that for a while now, at least in practice. That's going to bode well for them on the field. He's got good talent around him at receiver and tight end. Um, it's not excellent. It's not amazing, but he's got good talent who has who have experience as well. All of them having five plus uh, games started under their belt and defensively. They all they need um, with that defensive front is the offense to not completely suck. I mean, when you look at a, a defense that's rated in the, a defensive line that's rated in the top 25 and an overall defense that's rated in the top 30, you just need the offense not to lose the game for you. And the freshman quarterback to not, you know, get flustered and throw three picks. And I think that um, if North Carolina can do that, then I'm looking at seven and five, eight and four as more than plausible for them this year. So uh, go Tar Heels. You'll never hear that. Hear me say that during basketball season, but I'll say that right now. <laughs> uh, moving up here to 44th overall and six in this conference, it's the Miami Hurricanes. And uh, they're probably coming in low to the disappointment 
of uh, you know some Miami fans because expectations are always high at Miami. But they've got a really good defense. It's easy to recruit to Miami, right? Because it's Miami. Like, hey, you yeah. want to go and uh, <laughs> where all the women are beautiful and the weather's always nice? Yeah, sure. I'll go play football there. That sounds good. Also, the team is steeped in tradition, so you can get your t- your turnover chain going on there too. So uh, it's. I mean, look, uh, it's. It sells itself. I'm not even a recruiter. So I'm just a guy talking. I would love to go play in Miami. So, uh, But Manny Diaz uh, looks like the right hire here. But they're, they've played musical quarterbacks all year last year, and it doesn't seem to be any different, Nick, this year, bringing in uh, Tate Martell. We've got him favored in seven games. Tell me about the Hurricanes for 2019. Well, uh, Miami is one of about five or six ACC teams that really just has me scared by how their rating came out. And again, want to say this is not our opinion. <laughs> it is uh, not a projected order of finish. But, you know, we, we have Miami probably lower than most. 44th in the country is is uh, still a bowl team. You know, you absolutely would expect them to be a bowl team. But um, according to our projections, not an ACC Coastal challenger. Um, and, and so that probably concerns a lot of people. And, and the, the big reason why is because Manny Diaz just is not an experienced head coach. We are pretty harsh uh, in our grading, our, our head coach ratings um, for first time head coaches. Uh, so Manny Diaz starts his career at a 73.37 head coach rating, which is in the triple digits. That, because it accounts for 30%, basically, of the team strength rating formula, uh, really drags them down. If he were uh, an average rated head coach, which is about an 81, give or take, um, this would be a top 25 team on paper, according to our rating. So interpret that however you will. Um, we do... Uh, think that Miami obviously is very talented. Our numbers reflect that. They're 14th in the country in roster strength, uh, which is third in the ACC. But, you know, top 15, you're talking a potential playoff contender as far as the roster just by itself. So um, definitely if uh, Diaz does sort of, you know, quickly adapt and, and having been defensive coordinator uh, at the same school certainly has a, a, a leg up perhaps over somebody that's coming in like a Scott Satterfield or a Jeff Collins completely, you know, from a different spot. So we might be low on Miami. Absolutely. Um, like I said, if he had a, a higher rating and average rating, they'd probably be favored in nine or 10 games. Um, but they still would be a nine-point underdog to Florida in that week zero matchup, which we'll be talking about in detail uh, in a couple of weeks. So um, we're lower on Miami than most, but obviously some building blocks, especially on defense. This is the number two uh, defensive line and the number two linebacking core in the country. Their linebacking core specifically is the only unit of, of all FBS um, on uh, defense that includes uh, three 100-rated starters. So uh, that's as good as it gets, obviously. Depth of that position is a little bit of a concern, but as far as the, you know, just the, the first 11 guys you're going to throw out there, uh, Miami is about as good as it gets as far as the front seven goes. So um, they definitely have an opportunity to uh, make life very difficult for opposing offenses. The only question is, will 
their offense step up. They brought in K.J. Osborne at, at receiver, give some leadership at that position. They were able to get Jeff Thomas back, who is a very exciting player, but had sort of fallen out of favor with the previous coaching staff, it seemed. So they've got talent at receiver. They've got uh, one of the most talented tight ends in the country in Brevin Jordan. Uh, his 247 rating, a 98.2, uh, is actually the second highest of all tight ends that are active in the country. Um, so there is talent here. The offensive line has questions. Quarterback obviously has questions. Is it going to be Tate Martell? He seems to have the inside track. I know people are definitely hot and cold on him. Uh, he has not, according to reports, been uh, the most careful with the football in fall camp. And so that's definitely going to be an issue. But anytime I uh, watch Tate Martell or read about Tate Martell, this is going to maybe sound like a crazy comparison to some people, but the first player that pops into my mind is Kyler Murray. And the two of them have a unique ability when they look downfield and see nothing's open and then decide, all right, I'm going to take off and run. It's like they're shot out of a cannon. Tate Martell has the one of the quickest, you know, zero to 60 um, of any player in the country. So that's something that's a unique skill that's a unique asset um makes me think that he's got the inside track and that sort of seems to be the case uh according to some things i've recently read um but uh you know he can't be a runner only he's going to have to make uh some progress throwing the football as well and that seems to be uh a little bit hit and miss as well so um a lot of questions we're lower on miami than most they might end up making us look stupid same as virginia you know but uh on the other hand, if if we've got our numbers correct and Diaz might struggle as a first-time head coach, you know, maybe maybe us being uh, low on Miami is a good thing. Xavier, what do you think of Miami? I think uh, I got you to play there with my recruiting pitch just now, right? <laughs> I mean, you might have got me to go on a visit. You know, you, you can always take <laughs> official visits. But um, I don't know with Miami. They're a huge question mark for me. I guess that would be the superlative um as far as Miami's concerned, because it seems every year Miami just has talent in excess. I mean, they are a hotbed for recruiting. So, I mean, it's almost by default they get four and five stars in, um, you know, like they change their underwear. But when it comes to Miami, I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to that quarterback position. Um, will Tate Martell in his first time being, you know, genuinely a starter if he wins the starting position, Will he really be the quarterback that everybody had him being out of high school? Will he be, you know, the quarterback that was the Gatorade National Player of the Year? I don't know. You know, he he obviously didn't feel confident enough, you know, going into camp against Justin Fields, another guy who uh, didn't, you know, play all that much in his first season. He obviously didn't feel confident enough going toe to toe with him in camp, um, and that kind of scares me, to be honest with you, that he, you know, kind of tucked his tail and got out of there instead of, you know, trying to fight for his starting spot. Um, it, it kind of worries me. Maybe Ohio State knew what was up with when it came to Tate Martell and his uh, throwing ability. Um, we know at, at uh, Ohio State you're going to definitely have to throw more than maybe Miami. But I'm looking forward to seeing if he wins the starting position, how long is his leash, and if he can be, if he's going to be the Achilles heel to this team. Um, you know, we see the talent everywhere. You see the names, DJ Dallas, Jeff Thomas. Uh, Michael Pinckney, Shaq Quarterman, both of which I feel like have been there for like seven years. Yeah. But, you know, are only in their senior year, surprisingly. Um, 
there's so much talent all over the field. But as we'll get to later with Florida State, will that talent turn into anything? Um, we already talked about how they're underdogs against Florida to start off the season. But, you know, the size of the of, of their underdog is what should worry me as a Miami fan because that means not only does the media think that Miami is not all that great and we and our numbers don't, but Vegas doesn't as well. Um, and all three of us can't be wrong at the same time. And maybe the, maybe we are. Maybe Miami proves us all wrong and, you know, rattles off nine to ten wins and it's the Miami of old. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think they are more so around a seven, eight win team like they were last year. And we'll be scratching our heads once again, wondering why they couldn't turn all of that talent into more wins on their schedule. All right, moving on up here. And I'm kind of surprised to see this team this high. Uh, the Duke, yeah, the Duke Blue Devils at 36 overall in the nation, fifth overall in the conference. And I like the note that you put here, Nick, better than you think. Five winning seasons in the last six. Defensive back uh, and defensive backs in the offensive line are their strongest units, but obviously they're replacing Daniel Jones and they lost 70% of last year's receiving production. So offense, a big question mark, but we have them favored in eight games. So uh, Duke Blue Devils looking better than most people are going to expect them to replacing their uh, quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree. And I was surprised as well. And I, I, I commit to this being the last time on this particular podcast when I uh, kind of say, I really don't know how things are going to shake out. I, I don't know if I can trust the numbers. Well, that's that's sort of the situation here with Duke. I was surprised that they're 36. I, I think we could obviously uh, shuffle this order quite a bit, and it still might look right. It might even look more right. You know, maybe we switch Duke and Virginia. Uh, we could certainly switch Duke and, and Miami. Um, so I, too, was surprised. I actually said this was the most surprising uh, team in the ACC as far as their projection because, yeah, favored in eight games, including six ACC games. Uh, that is a surprise. Quite a few toss-up games in there, but um, they are better than you think. As far as both roster strength and pure talent, or the 247 ratings. This is a top 40 roster. They have top 40 talent. They rank 37th and 33rd, respectively, which both are in the top half in the ACC. And we wouldn't expect Duke to be the more talented team uh, on the field against half the ACC, but according to our numbers, they are. And David Cutcliffe has done a fantastic job um, of unearthing some underrated players and developing those guys. Obviously, Daniel Jones was, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people would say a, a two-star player became a first-round uh, draft pick, right? So he has a uh, track record for specifically the quarterback position, but this program as a whole of rising above expectations, and they are a threat to win any game. I mean, Cutcliffe and, and his staff do such a great job uh, on game day that Duke, you know, you shouldn't be shocked if they beat really anybody on this list other than perhaps Clemson. So uh, they, they um, have the talent. The secondary is really the strength of the team. Uh, I mentioned those ACC Digital Network shorts that I, I was watching some of those the last few days. They actually rank Duke as the third best secondary in the ACC. 
since then, they have lost one of their highest-rated players. Mark Gilbert um, is having a hip surgery, and it looks like he's going to be out an extended period, uh, perhaps even the whole year. Um, so that is a big blow. But Dylan Singleton is a an even higher-rated player. He's a 98.8. He'll be a 100, you know, probably by week three or so. So they've they've got some pieces on that side of the football, and I'm excited to watch. Quentin Harris, the the new quarterback. He's a senior. He's played in 23 games. Um, he did see uh, the field a couple of times in place of Daniel Jones when he was banged up, has made a couple of starts. Um, Cutcliffe has uh, voiced his opinion on, on Harris, did so at ACC Media Days. He's called him very, very smart, says, uh, you know, just some glowing things about his ability to process information and, and uh, understand what to do and where to be and, and all those sort of things. Quentin Harris is a more dynamic runner. Um, Jones did some good things on the ground, but Harris uh, is a, a more athletic player and he's experienced. Uh, he is very smart, knows the offense. He's been in the in the system uh, now going into his uh, fourth full season. So they shouldn't see much of a drop-off. And that might sound crazy because Jones was selected so highly in the first round, but Harris is is uh, very athletic. He's experienced more so than you might remember and has, has command of the playbook. One area of concern, the offensive line needs to be rebuilt for new starters, uh, and they were only average as far as a lot of the statistics that we look at for that unit. So um, doesn't rank very highly as a unit coming into the season, but Harris will have some weapons. He's got uh, two very good running backs, Deion Johnson, or excuse me, Deion Jackson and Britton Brown. Jackson is uh, really sort of a uh, multi-use player, should help out in the passing game as well, and they're going to need it because the top uh, actually, Jackson is the leading returning receiver. Uh, the top leading returning wide receiver is uh, a 6'4 sophomore, Jake Bobo, who had 10 catches for 167 yards. So going to need somebody like Aaron Young to step up maybe into that number one role if it's not going to be Bobo. And then and a guy that's a little lower on the depth chart, Scott Bracey, is uh, the most highly rated player by a good bit, at least as far as his 247 rating. So um, they have some uh, talent there. New new guys are going to need to step up, but Duke is a surprising team. They're a capable team. Uh, perhaps we're overrating them, but we've seen Duke do some really good things in the past, rise above expectations, and I would not be uh, very surprised if they do it again. Xavier, are you uh, in that hard on the uh, the Duke Blue Devils here? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, and, and it's simply because when you look at the returning production, I just don't see where they're going to get the same offensive production that they got last year from Daniel Jones and co. Um, and I think that's my biggest issue with them is that when we look at their schedule, when we look at the fact that they start off with Alabama, so absolutely no favors day one. Um I just don't know where they're going to get the offensive production from. And their defense can be as good as it is, um, according to our metrics and, you know, according to the rankings that, you know, Nick has provided with them being a 37th ranked uh, overall defense and having uh, a top 30 secondary. I just don't know how good the offense will be and, and if the defense can hold up in all of the games that they're going to be playing this year. I think we, they get a boost because they play in the Coastal. And I think that when you play in the worst 
out of the two divisions, you do get somewhat of a win boost because the teams are so close together in uh, their favors and their uh, win probability. So with Duke having just a little bit more talent than those other teams, especially defensively, they get a boost. So they do, you know, their eight win favored isn't too shocking, but it's more so because they play in the coastal, not because they're this, you know, you know, this uh, this team that's going to just dominate their division. I could easily see Duke going six and six this year and not bat an eyelash. Um, I think it's very funny to me that Cutcliffe, when he talked about uh, Quinn Harris, used every single word and adjective when it comes to a Duke student, as you would use for a quarterback. Smart, <laughs> intelligent, uh, you know, reads the game well. All things you expect from a guy who probably has somewhat of a 3.8 or higher um, going into Duke. So, Duke is a weird one for me. I could see them going six and six, eight and four. I think is, you know, fair, but I also think it could be a little bit of a stretch when you lose so much talent on offense. I think if you're the three point eight at Duke, you're the dummy. So I got yeah, some, right. I right? got some uh, smart kids there for sure. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean Duke. Duke's gonna be fun to watch, and that you know is Duke better than my Miami? I love that take. That's gonna be a fun one to watch for the entire season. Uh, Moving up a little bit here, number uh, 33 in the nation, four in the conference, the Virginia Tech Hokies. Uh, you know, you've got listed here balance on offense, which I, I buy into that for sure. Yes, Josh Jackson did uh, transfer, but Ryan Willis uh, played well anyway. And, um, you know, Deshaun McLeese, the starting running back, Damon Hazleton and Trey Turner coming over, I believe from Washington State, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, you know, they, they have, and I like you put here, weathered transfers. So some transfers with experience. Uh, it's a good point to make. Uh, they were just really, really disappointing. They were... Uh, Lower than 100 in rushing defense last season. They allowed too many big plays. But we have them favored, Nick, in 10 games this year. So if they do, if they go 10 and 2, they're going to be better than this number 33 overall. They're going to be into that top 25. So Virginia Tech, a lot to prove this year. Absolutely, and, and I'm, I've said it. I'm, I'm going to be more positive from this point forward. I think... Virginia Tech is the best chance for us to look smart. Uh, that, that's my hope, at least. So first and foremost, they have a very manageable schedule. We have them favored in 10 games, 7-1 in the ACC. Uh, that does include winning a lot of toss-up games, and, and uh, that makes me a little bit nervous because um, I think that uh, perhaps uh, the coaching staff has not been uh, quite as good as, as uh, we might have expected. So uh, I'm not sure if, if I can trust them to pull out a lot of close wins, but it is a very manageable schedule. Um, and this is a talented team and, and average 247 sports rating. Uh, they come in at number 22 in the country. So that might be a surprise to some people. As far as roster strength, a little bit lower, 33rd. But uh, this roster, even though they did have a lot of transfers, um, they did bring in some others, and, and they've uh, definitely gained some experience. They have gained almost four points in roster strength since the end of the 2018 season, which is the third most in the country and the most in the ACC. So this should be a stronger roster. And if it's healthier, um, that absolutely is a step in the right direction because they did have a lot of injuries last year as well. Uh, going back to the coaching staff real quick, uh, Bud, 
uh, Foster is retiring, uh, announced that last week um, or earlier this week. And, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Last year uh, was the worst defense Foster really ever put on the field with the Hokies as the coordinator. Um, so uh, on the one hand, you know, maybe maybe uh, the players or, or maybe he will be more motivated, come out on a uh, on a high note. Um, but then on the other, you know, if you go if you know your coach has one foot out the door, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily that's the best thing to uh, raise the level of play for the defense. So a uh, little bit concerned about that. Not sure which way to go. Uh, the defensive line is uh, a concern for me. It ranks 11th in our defensive line strength ratings in the ACC and 53rd in the country. Uh, that's not what we expect from a Virginia Tech front four. Um, and they do have three guys who've started double digit games. So it's not like it's an inexperienced unit. It's just not necessarily a highly rated unit. Uh, they're going to be relying on a couple of sophomores to play a lot of snaps. So um, has an opportunity to improve, but uh, you know, from this starting point, not sure about the defensive line. Do feel a lot better about the back seven. Um, both are top 25 units and top two or three units in the ACC. And uh, the last thing, I, I, I've been watching uh, a good bit of uh, ACC football over the last 24, 48 hours. Today, I watched the Virginia Tech-Virginia replay when the Hokies somehow, some way escaped in overtime and kept their bowl streak hopes alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was pretty incredible to watch. I have no idea, still having, having watched it just about you know two hours ago, how Virginia lost that game, how Tech found a way to win. So um, if they're able to kind of carry over that momentum a little bit, um, I know it didn't work out for them in the bowl game, but uh, take that into the offseason with an improved roster. You know, there's definitely an opportunity uh, to put up a lot more wins with a manageable schedule. I think Virginia Tech could do it, could win 10 games, could even challenge uh, perhaps for the ACC title if everything breaks just right. Um, so hopefully, hopefully the Hokies will make us look smart and uh, put up double-digit wins this year. What do you think about the Hokies, Javier? I mean, uh, like Nick said, a lot of heart, but um, you know, it just didn't work out very much last year. I mean, Nick put a lot of coulds at the end of his uh, at the end of his spiel <laughs> there. Uh, there was a lot of could do this and could do that. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if they can. Uh, you know, coming into this year, like Nick said, with the head coach announcing that he's going to be retiring, it could either have the Ray Lewis effect and their team could go, you know, he, they could rattle off every win in the book, you know, of, other than a couple of games. And, you know, that could really galvanize the team to really want to send off the coach on a, on a high note. Or it could uh, have the complete opposite effect where everybody's kind of just hoping that he leaves and they kind of don't play for him anymore. And if things go bad to start off the season, it could get really ugly really fast. And we could see, I'm not going to say we could see a Bobby Petrino type season for Virginia Tech, but we could definitely see another ugly one uh, to send off Bud Foster, which would be, uh, which would not be indicative of what he's done at his time in Virginia Tech whatsoever. Um, when you look at the numbers defensively, once again, I think this is like the fourth team on the list that we've talked about that their defense is going to have to be there. You know, the bell cow, when you have such a great back seven and for once the four, two, five actually makes sense for this team. They don't have a great front four. 
And they're going to have to rely on linebacker play, which they have in abundance. Even, you know, going into their third string guy, Dylan Rivers um, is an 89 overall on our list. And he's not even one of the two starters. And then their back, their back end, which has, you know, 100, 290 rated players and 287 plus rated players in their back seven. The defense is going to be rather good this year. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, Virginia Tech coming back from what was a bad year. I think Foster's going to have them ready to go. I don't know about 10 wins. I think that, you know, when I looked at the number, when we were looking through the, uh, before the podcast, I was utterly flabbergasted when I saw them with 10 wins. Uh, I think their win probability projection at eight is more indicative of what they may do, you know, eight or nine. And uh, obviously, you know, be atop the coastal, which is what I'm fully expecting them to do with them challenging with Duke. But, uh, 10 wins, 7-1 in the conference is is quite a stretch, and I'm not ready to go there just yet. All right, moving up to the top three here, number 29 overall in the nation and number three in the conference, it is the Syracuse Orange. And like you mentioned here, there's optimism on offense despite the loss of production, Nick. Uh, I think a lot of people are in favor of Tommy DeVito over Eric Dungy. Not that Eric Dungy wasn't a talent, but Tommy DeVito, the better passer. And there was just so many concussions for Eric Dungy. It was ridiculous. I can't believe he came back to play after that last one. Uh, but mm -hmm. the linebackers aren't great. 76 in uh, all of college football and 13th out of 14 in ACC as far as roster strength goes, uh, and they ranked 116th in stopping the pass last season. We have them favored nine games. Uh, tell me what you think about the Orange this year. Yeah, so I, I think that Syracuse is actually the most misunderstood team in the ACC, and, and obviously uh, I've had mixed feelings about a lot of these teams. It, it's as a league, top to bottom, um, uh, you know, have a lot of questions and, and not exactly sure how they stack up. Syracuse, I'm pretty confident, is worthy of a top three spot. Um, but I think the reason that they deserve it perhaps is misunderstood. We think of Dino Babers as an offensive mastermind, and he's definitely done some good things. Um, he, he was able to get a lot out of Eric Dungy as a runner and a passer, perhaps a little too at times, as you alluded to, uh, for him, you know, get ha having some health issues along the way. But um, because he is uh, so good, X's and O's wise, offensively, feel pretty good about the offense. Tommy DeVito seems like he's going to uh, excel, seems like a very good fit for the offense and for the program. So don't see much of a drop off at that position. They always seem to find receivers. The running backs, uh, their starter is back, and then they added an Oklahoma transfer. So uh, they've got talent at that position as well. So offense, they're going to be fine. Defense, where they struggled, statistically speaking, last year, um, really could be the strength. The defensive ends, uh, Alton, Alden Robinson and, and Kendall Coleman, might be the two best, you know, as, as a duo defensive ends in the country. And I know that's saying a lot because we've, we've definitely got some uh, talented groups in the SEC and the Big Ten. But both of these guys are 100-rated players, highly productive. They've done a lot of great things, and, and they're going to lead what should be a good defensive line. 
The secondary is also uh, pretty highly rated according to our numbers. It's a top 40 unit, and it's probably uh, better than that because they've got a sophomore free safety, Andre Sisco, who's not quite a 90 in our rating system yet, but he's an All-American candidate. He's going to get up there uh, to that 100 probably pretty quick. Um, and they did get some good news as well. Uh, one of their um, uh, pretty highly experienced guys, Antoine Cordy, was granted a sixth year um, recently. So he brings uh, some depth to that unit. Um, could be a starter, could be a, a top backup rota- uh, rotation player. But overall, they're, they're strong there in the back four or five. Should be uh, a pretty good defensive unit overall. And then Babers was just gushing about his specialists at, at ACC Media Days. Uh, kicker might be the best in the nation. Uh, Schmidt, I believe, is his name. Um, and then he, he, he said his punter was just an NFL punter point blank. So they've got some, some definite strong points on defense. Uh, special teams should be good with the specialists, and we expect the offense really to be just as good as it ever was. If uh, pretty low-rated linebacking core you know, elevates its play, uh, like the other two units on defense. This could uh, be a team that challenges in the ACC. We know they've beaten Clemson uh, in the past, and, and we know we they put a scare in them uh, last year. So um, Syracuse is, is going to be a handful. They're definitely going to uh, be a bowl team, I believe. Uh, we have them favored in nine games, and, and um, they could make life very difficult for the top two teams uh, in our ratings here. And, and who knows, you know, if things break right, Clemson has been vulnerable in the past, and, and we'll talk more about them here in a bit. But uh, Syracuse is is probably a top 25 team with a, a chance to improve even more. And Xavier, I mean, the, you know, the Orangemen have been really, really good as of recent, and it's because of explosive offense. But like Nick said, you know, uh, it's the defense that makes this team strong because you expect the offense to be good for Dino Baber. So the the, the defense pouring it on uh, has been really strong here. Are you on the uh, the hype train for Syracuse this year? I am 100% on the hype train, and it's not just because I had cousins who graduated from the school. Um, <laughs> I think that Syracuse, even in its worst last year when it comes to their defense, their defense only gave up 30-plus points in four out of the uh, eight games that they played last year. Um, and in two of those games that they gave up 30 plus, they still won, you know, so we obviously know that the offense is going to come to play, you know, Tommy DeVito at quarterback got, you know, significant reps when, uh, Dungy didn't, wasn't able to play due to his concussions. And I think that's going to bode well for them, uh, this season as, you know, he knows the offense he's played in big games. He's played on the road. He's played at home. You know, it's not going to be so much of an adjustment period when you have a sophomore quarterback, um, in Tommy DeVito. So I think that bodes well for them this season. But defensively, like we've said, and like you said, uh, Scott, is if they can come in, if the, if the defense can really play up to the potential and up to the numbers that we have them at, this team is very scary. Um, you know, it's never easy, first off, to go and play in Syracuse and play in the Dome. It's a raucous environment, and they always seem to play well there. But, you know, last year, what I think I loved most about watching Syracuse is that they didn't, you know, play terribly bad on the road either, you know, barring the, the Notre Dame game. They did. They played rather well. They, you know, they played Clemson very close. They played Pittsburgh on the road. They lost by only a touchdown. You know, they beat Boston College on the road and they beat Wake Forest on the road. And I think that that was the step that we were looking from, uh, you know, Dino Babers and his team. 
I think that they'll carry into this year. You know, they're not going to be a team where they, you know, at home they put up 45 points on you, but on the road they can only muster 20 to 21. I think that they're going to be able to carry it on the road. And if they are, which they're going to need to because they play Duke on the road and they play Florida State, this Syracuse team could definitely, you know, be the best Syracuse team that we've seen maybe ever. I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a historian of Syracuse football, so, you know, don't kill me. You know, I know um, if I'm not mistaken, Jim Brown played there, so I can't, I can't say that it might be the best team ever, but uh, McNabb was that, pretty good too, but you were too okay. young. <laughs> but I won a national title in like the fifties, I think, but, but it's been a while. It's been a while. You're right. Uh, so it's definitely going to be the, the best Syracuse team that I've seen. Um, in, in, the uh, Xavier next... Trish era. Probably. Yeah, yes. You know, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, 23 years <laughs> of, on this earth, it'll be the best Syracuse team that I've been able to, uh, to have the, uh, the opportunity to watch. And I'm, I'm on the Syracuse train. I love, I love Dino Babers. I think he is one of the better coaches in college football. And, you know, he always has his teams come to play, you know, and he's always ready for, you know, whatever happens. And I think that we've seen his ability to adjust with having such a volatile quarterback in Eric Dungy. And so I don't think anything phases him at this point. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, that Clemson matchup in week three um, when uh, Clemson comes back to the Dome and once they lost that two years ago. All right, moving up to the final two here, number 25, the Florida State Seminoles in the nation, number two in the conference. Uh, running back in DB units rank among the best in the nation. The defense always looks extremely talented on paper, but they were their offense was just abysmal last season. The offensive line had problems, and you could tell from the jump against Vautech they were just not going to have a great year. They ranked 127th in rushing offense, 128th in passing defense in 2018. And uh, the ACC's, uh, they're the strongest units are actually their weakness. I think that more comes into coaching, though, Nick. And a very disappointing start to the Willie Taggart era for Florida State. Absolutely. So, in my opinion, Florida State was the most disappointing team in the ACC and, and probably one of the most disappointing in the country. I mean, there's there's no excuse for only only winning five games at Florida State. I know Willie Taggart didn't inherit a perfect situation, um, but uh, Florida State is better than five and seven. Willie Taggart's better than five and seven. So this team ranked in the top 10 in roster strength last year. Uh, they're a fringe top five in pure talent. Those numbers have come back just a little bit. They're 12th in roster strength this year and sixth uh, in average 247 sports uh, rating. But those are national title contending numbers. I mean, we're talking about the elite of the elite from a uh, recruiting standpoint. Now, obviously, players can uh, underperform. Uh, coaches can uh, misevaluate and things can happen along the way that that certain players might not uh, reach their full potential. So uh, there there is you know some excuse for maybe not competing for a national championship year after year, but five and seven no excuse. And and the way that this team played on defense was uh, just uh, very surprising. Ninety seventh in defensive. Uh, S&P Plus, they were just not competitive in games against the, the more talented teams on the schedule. Syracuse, who, you know, maybe maybe Syracuse actually wasn't even one of the most talented teams, but they just weren't competitive in that game. Clemson blew them out. Notre Dame blew them out. Florida, I mean, they, they did not look good <laughs> in a lot of different ways last year. Um, but 
Willie Taggart does have a history of building programs and, and rebuilding programs. He's He's got a fairly low head coach rating, 71st in the country and 11th in the ACC, but uh, he has shown an ability to, once he gets his guys in place and, and sort of once um, he lets the dust settle after what's usually a pretty rough year one, uh, they do seem to respond to Willie Taggart, and I would expect Florida State to do that uh, this year to be more competitive, uh, to play, uh, you know, close the gap at least between their team performance and their roster strength. Um, and and I think that uh, they did make a good hire on paper uh, at the offensive coordinator position with Kendall Bryles. He has had an immediate impact both at FAU and at Houston. Um, can he recreate that? Can he make it three for three in three years? Um, he was able to bring on his right-hand man, the offensive line coach, um, and uh, that was a, a very important hire for this team, maybe one of the most important in the country, uh, but that unit was ugly, so um, might not be able to fix it right away. But, you know, Cam Makers uh, leads a running back unit that we ranked fourth in the country, and obviously it didn't out that way on the field last year statistically but we've seen acres uh flash maybe heisman potential i mean when he was a freshman he, he uh put up over a thousand yards and and put up uh, a lot of really good uh quality performances so if he can get back to that level and then he does have um a, a really talented backup in uh kaylin laborn uh who does some really good things in the passing game as well they have an opportunity to make a big step forward as an offense, that should help the defense as well. Um, and and this team just overall at every roster spot is uh, one of the most talented in the country. So uh, there's no excuse for another disappointing season. We do have Florida State favored in 10. We expect them to win seven and a half on average. Um, and that would be, you know, with a few upsets in the wrong direction. But eight wins seems right. And, and anything less than that uh, would be another disappointing season and, and Taggart's seat would get a little bit warmer. Um, but I think that that uh, this team definitely can challenge four ten 10 wins uh, as we have them favored in, in that number of games. Xavier, are you buying in on the bounce back for Florida State and Willie Taggart? I don't trust Willie Taggart. And me not trusting Willie Taggart doesn't allow me to go out on the same limb as a lot of people would with Florida State. I know we have them in the second-ranked team in the ACC and 25th-ranked team in the FBS. But when you have a coach who I just don't think has the ear of his players and the ear of the university, I don't think anybody is going to really listen to him. Um, I'm I, the because I like the guy. I think he has his head, you know, he has his head screwed on correctly. And I think he has the right intentions when it comes to Florida State and wanting to get them back to relevancy. However, I just don't think, and we saw it last year, that the players really wanted to play for him at times, um, especially after a, a poor start. You know, it, it took them a very long time for him to kind of get the locker room back in order. And that scares me coming into this season because when you look at Florida State's schedule, they start with Boise State. You know, a primetime matchup that if it goes wrong and, you know, they lose that game, Willie Taggart, once again, would not can lose the locker room. And they can, you know, easily then lose to Virginia and then NC State. And if they pick up too many early losses, the middle of the schedule, we all know, is going to be very daunting. And it doesn't get any easier towards the end with Florida to end the season. So when it comes to Willie Taggart and Florida State, I just don't know how well they're going to play um, throughout the entire season. When If it starts off rough for Florida State, 
it could be a very rough season as it was last year. And Taggart could very well see himself packing his bags at the end of the year. I think that they'll be more so towards our win probability projection of 7.55, more of an eight win, maybe even nine win team, but 10 wins after what I saw from last year's team, I can't, I, I can't go on the limb and make that assertion right now. Uh, not seeing what they're bringing to the table uh, come next season. No faith for Xavier in Florida State. I don't know that <laughs> Very I too much. So, But the next team and last team you have to have faith in because they are the reigning national champs, number two overall, number one in the conference. It's Clemson Tigers. Uh, for strengths, you have listed uh, pretty much everything. Uh, and then weaknesses, it's maybe the linebackers because they only rank 32 <laughs> in the nation as a unit. Nick, I mean, Clemson, uh, we have them favored in 100% of the games they're playing in. So it uh, looks like it's going to be another easy playoff uh, adventure for the Tigers again this year. Yeah, n not only do we have Clemson favored in every game, the closest of our uh, preseason projected point spreads for Clemson is 11.37 points. And that's against South Carolina at the end of the year. So uh, our numbers love Clemson. Obviously, they don't love them quite as much as Alabama. And that's because they uh, just lost more production, more experienced uh, players. Um, they'll have to replace between those two uh, national title contenders. But, but yeah, Clemson... Um, obviously, we've, as we've talked about the ACC at times, I've, I've definitely sounded like a broken record of, well, you know, this team might get six wins, might get seven. I wouldn't be surprised if this happens or, you know, maybe this, maybe that. Clemson should beat everybody on the schedule. They should beat everybody on the schedule handily. They've got superstars all over the roster. Trevor Lawrence is a Heisman contender. Uh, Travis Etienne is a Heisman contender. T. Higgins is one of the best receivers in the country. We saw what... Justin Ross can do, and, and they've brought in just even more talented players uh, at the receiver uh, position. The offensive line, they lost, um, you know, a longtime starter at left tackle in Mitch Hyatt, but still, you know, three guys were full-time starters, and then a uh, center uh, Gage Cervanka has uh, eight games started in his career and has played in 31, so it's an experienced unit, should be very good. The defensive line obviously was the best in the country last year, and, and they lost all of their full-time starters, but they have a lot of guys who've seen the playing field. Um, there are seven guys who've appeared in at least a dozen games for the Tigers. Um, Xavier Thomas is, is one of those guys who is a uh, five-star recruit and looks like the next great pass rusher at Clemson. Uh, and the secondary is loaded as well. I mean, all, every unit other than the linebacking core ranks in the top 10 nationally in our roster strength uh, metrics. Linebacker is 32nd overall, and uh, that's still fourth in the ACC, so it's not like it's a bad unit by any stretch. Isaiah Simmons uh, was a very, very productive player last year. Um, and he'll, you know, he'll join two new starters, but again, experienced guys. They've got three other players who've uh, played in at least 15 games um, as, uh, you know, on defense as a, as a linebacker. So um, they're loaded everywhere. They're the best team in the ACC, bar none. Uh, and, you know, Debo Swinney has, has really built this team into a juggernaut. He and Nick Saban are the only two 
head coaches in the country who have a 100 head coach rating. So uh, this is a national championship contender, obviously, um, and and they should definitely be in the mix. And um, if they win it again, if they upset Alabama again, you know, I, I certainly could see it happening. Xavier, I mean, just heap more praise on Clemson. They I'm actually it. gonna I'm actually gonna go a little bit differently. I, I'm <laughs> not gonna go out on the limb and say that Clemson's going to uh, you know go nine and three and you know Dabo's gonna be on the hot seat or anything like that. I'm not gonna go anywhere near that. But I do. There are a couple of games that on their schedule that I think Clemson could struggle. That doesn't mean that they'll lose, but I think they could struggle. I'm looking at the Texas A&M game second week of the season. And Syracuse on the road, the third week of the season. Um, and really, that Syracuse game for me, because I feel like Dino Babers has Clemson's number to an extent. I'm, I'm, you know, excited to see what Trevor Lawrence does against his defense. And we, you know, we, we've harped about, you know, Syracuse's strengths defensively coming into this year. I'm really looking at that game in particular because after the Texas A&M game, after playing a team that's going to try to out physical you, being an SEC team. I'm really looking to see if they can bounce back in the Syracuse game and have the same kind of energy and intensity and tenacity it takes to go, you know, multiple time, uh, you know, go uh, undefeated once again. You know, what a bullet on their back. You know, Clemson for the last two or three years has been really close to like not going undefeated. And with how bad the ACC has been the last two or three years was really close to not being in the college football playoff or at least having to have a discussion about it. Um, I think they've had maybe two or three games in the last two, a couple years where, you know, if the ball floated a different way, they could have lost. You know, I'm looking for Clemson to be Alabama-esque this year. You know, I want the style points. I want them to put 70 up on a ball, on a ball club this year and, and, and you, know, you know, put their foot on their throats. You know, I'm not looking for Clemson to be a team that has a couple of scares, you know, and, and we're looking at Clemson, you know, so much talent. I want them to show that to me. So it's not going to be just Clemson being a good ball club and possibly going 12-0 again. I want to see them do it and do it with style, uh, you know, and, and see Dabo dancing in the uh, in locker rooms every single game if I can. <laughs> uh, but that's what I'm looking for to Clemson. I'm not going to boost the the stats and, you know, the you know, the 247 ratings of all their players. We all know those things. I want to see if they can have an Alabama-esque season where they just run through everybody because they can do it, um, you know, out of the – those two games, Texas A&M and Syracuse, I don't see anybody else on their schedule that can even really compete with them, and that includes you guys in South Carolina. Um, so Clemson, you guys are probably going to ball out this year, but I want to see you do it with style. You know, <laughs> style, style points. I don't yes. know if you guys saw, but Clemson uh, reported some secondary infractions, and one of them was for using confetti. So <laughs> apparently, there's some stipulation that you can't have. Uh, game day like entrances for players or something when they come on uh visits and they use confetti for one of them so <laughs> confetti infraction clemson uh number one rated in the acc and number two in the nation and uh that's gonna wrap us up for today remember you can find us all on twitter i'm at bachman sports at cfb winning edge for nick at xavier underscore trish t-r-i-c-h-e for Xavier, and then uh, we are brought to you by the CFB Winning Edge Patreon. And uh, Nick, why don't you give us the rundown on the Patreon? Absolutely. If if you'd like to support this podcast, if you made it this far through our uh, ACC discussion, uh, want to offer you a, a special discount. Um, as we're getting close to the season, we've got a lot of great 
things uh, available to our subscribers as we've talked about all of our ratings and our metrics and uh, how teams are ranked uh, one another and, and favored in this many games. Well, you can see all of that in black and white through uh, a private set of Google Sheets that, that we make available to our patrons. And uh, if you would like to join, if you're a new uh, Patreon subscriber, this is only for first timers, um, sign up at patreon.com slash CFB winning edge. If you join as a tier one patron uh, in the month of August, we will uh, give you all tier two access for the price of tier one. So uh, when you sign up, send a message through Patreon uh, to us or uh, send an email to CFB winning edge at gmail.com. Let us know that you heard about the discount on the pod and uh, you'll get tier two access for the price of tier one which is just five bucks a month so um support us uh in that way help us uh do more great things more research and uh, improve all of our metrics uh while also giving you a great weekly podcast and that is going to wrap us up and next week we'll be talking about G5 teams, and I promise we will make it shorter next week. Guaranteed. So <laughs> we will see you we'll guys. Do our best. I'll try. I'll <laughs> try. <laughs> I'm going to rein Nick right in. We're going to be quicker <laughs> next week. I promise. But we will see you guys then. Take it easy, everybody.